Some of the best toys in my experience were from things in the kitchen. Wooden spoons and plastic tubs for my kids to beat on and then they would take cups and they would just stack them up, plastic cups, and then crash them down. But I was amazed at how just the simplest thing of two plastic cups and a little bit of water would keep them entertained long enough for me to get dinner ready. And they would just pour it back and forth, take a sip, spit it, keep going. Water in general was a sure winner in our household. If we watered the grass, the water would run down this little gully here and the boys would chase it with like vehicles who could stay in front of it. When it rained, they were quick to be the ones to want to jump in puddles, and they were the ones that wanted to ride their bikes through going, wee! And y'all know what happens when you do that, right? The water goes up the white shirt that you've just put on them. It was fun. While they had plenty of store-bought toys, water seemed to be the one that they loved the most, plus Thomas the Train. But outside of that, it was water. Now today, they're all teenagers, and while there are still puddles for them to jump in, there is still water that goes down the little gullies outside our house. They have lost their delight in these childlike things. And yet water is still completely essential for them. They realize it's something they have to use to clean, something they use for for growth, for nourishment, for sustenance, and for cleaning. The Holy Spirit, friends, is a lot like water. It is a gift to all believers in Christ, and it is meant to sustain us, to nourish us, and to help us grow. And I think all of us kind of get that. We would believe that about the Holy Spirit. We might even define the Holy Spirit in that way. But the Holy Spirit is also a gift that is supposed to bring us childlike delight like water did when we were little. You see, the Holy Spirit is the nature of God that is meant to give us the sweet life, to bring us endless joy. So I want you to consider, do you think the sweetest part of your life is in the past? Now, sure enough, if we were to define the sweet life as bodies aching less, metabolisms being higher, expectations being lower and requirements being lower and responsibilities. Well, sure, most of us would say, yeah, the sweet life, it was in the past. But as followers of Jesus, friends, we are guaranteed this all lifelong. All lifelong, we are supposed to be living into the sweet life, no matter what age or stage we are in. And this is the life by, in, and with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to get a taste of the sweet life this summer, and we're going to be looking at the ways that the Holy Spirit is alive in our world. And and the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia and says these are called the fruit of the Spirit. This is the way that the Spirit is alive and well, and there's nine different fruit, and we're going to look at one each week of the summer. But before we dive into the first fruit, it's really important, Stacey and I felt it's really, really important for us to make sure you knew how we define the fruit of the Spirit, how we define the Holy Spirit, because I think it is unique to maybe what you've heard in other places. And that is this, there is absolutely nothing that we can do to create more of it. 
There's nothing that we can do to work harder or smarter to make the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God. And so since the beginning, before all the beginnings, it was the Holy Spirit of God that hovered over the face of the deep. The Holy Spirit simply is. And so what we want to do this summer is we want to to be able to name where we see it. Because every single time you see one of the fruit, wherever you see love, wherever you see joy, wherever you see that, let's name it. That is the Holy Spirit of God, and it is still present today. What we want to consider this summer is where do we see its fruit? I promise when you look for it, even in the midst of tragic events or of difficulties in your own life, I promise you it is there. To help us with our first fruit, we're going to look at the love poem from Paul to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm always a fan of someone defining something by negation, saying this is what it's not, because then you can like create this list in your head, oh, I just need to make sure I don't do those things. And so that's how Paul begins defining love as he says what it's not. And I really like it because he uses things that are easy for me to say, well, I don't do that. I mean, have any of y'all moved a mountain lately? Have any of you given up your entire body? No, right? So we're feeling pretty good as this love poem goes. Paul's speaking in hyperbole on purpose. He's using these extreme examples of unattainable things done by unattainable people for a reason. Because we know that if those things were done, If someone could move a mountain, it would be newsworthy. But even if it's newsworthy, Paul says, and it's done without love, it is for nothing. You see, Paul knew the group to which he was speaking in the church of Corinth, and it was a group that could be a lot like here. There were men and women. There were children and old people. There were single people, divorced, married, widowed, There were people who were free. There were people who were enslaved to things. There were Greeks and there were Romans. This was a very diverse group of people. And you know how it is when you get a whole bunch of diverse group of people together, they have different opinions about how to live in public and how to live in private. And you bet different opinions about how to do church right. And Paul 
levels the playing field. And he says, here before Christ, none of that matters. What matters is how you treat one another. And so he gives them this rule for life. Because the way that you treat one another, it really does matter. And friends, our world is starving for us to love one another better. All of the things that he lists, the love is patient, kind, those are actually a lot of the fruit of the Spirit. And so you're going to hear those fleshed out throughout the summer. But what I got stuck on this time was was verse 7. Listen to what it says again. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. So four times, Paul tells us that this love thing does something to all things. And I don't know about you, but whenever anybody uses a superlative, I lean in. What can love do always? I want to know. And he says, it bears, believes, hopes, and endures. So love bears. The root word in Greek here is roof. This is a, like a markup of what a first century Capernaum would have looked like or a Corinth. And look at the roofs in this picture. Well, when you look at a roof, you realize what it obviously would do is it would protect people that are inside it from the elements, right? But then look how it's providing shade to the animals and the people outside of it. Over here, you've got fish that are drying out on the top of the roof. So it's literally doing something to provide sustenance for the people. And and does anyone notice an animal in that picture anywhere? Do you see the kitty cat? It even, this roof even provides a place for a house pet to feel safe and secure. Love bears. When we love one another, we protect the people in our lives from outside forces. It's a strength that's given to them. When we love, we provide space for cooling off. And when we love, we provide places that give time and space for nourishment. When we love, it allows others around us places to feel safe and secure. This is what love does. Love bears. And then he says love believes. And the root word for belief here is faith. It's to have faith in. And what does faith mean? But the assurance of things hoped for the wisdom and conviction of things not seen. So love, believing, it means it's something that you might not necessarily see. It's agape love. But he is saying, just as you have been, so you too must do for others. Because see, it's rooted, if it's rooted in faith, if love believes, what is our faith rooted in? What is the pivotal What is the moment that changes the way we view the rest of our life different than any other faith belief in this entire world? And that is resurrection. We have a faith rooted in resurrection that no matter how bleak a situation, no matter how out of control things can seem in our country, in our lives, in our households, nothing is out of the reach of a resurrecting God. 
When we believe that there is always new mercies each morning, that God is always faithful even when we are not, that is love believing. And love hopes. Hope is similar to faith, but hope has this assurance that is based on the way things have happened in the past. So love, love remembers the times in the past when someone loved us even though we were really ugly. Love remembers and reminds us that none of us really deserved for Christ to die for us, but we have that assurance because he did. We have that assurance from the past. Love hopes and love endures. Love stays even when it is so difficult. The Greek word that's used for endure literally means to stay next to. Part of love's very nature is that you're going to stick with a person even when it's difficult. Think about who God is. So that means love endures next to the person even though they might be unkind. Even though they're going to have a different political view than us. Even when they do something that really disappoints us and even when they do something that hurts us. Love endures. This is what love does. This is how love acts out. And Paul is telling the church in Corinth, your world, our world today, it needs followers of Jesus to love in this way. It is starving for just some love towards one another. The Holy Spirit of God is surely present and abundant and alive in our world today. And the fruit of the Spirit is abundant around us. Let's go and taste it this summer. Let's go and live this sweet life, a life by the Spirit. May it be so in my life and in yours. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you exceed all expectations and that like water, you are going before us, making your way. And like water, you sustain us even when we are feeling so low. And so, oh, Holy Spirit, we, we relinquish ourselves to you. May you fill us up with your love. In Christ's name, amen.